Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom and Wager who are reading today or reviewing or momentarying for Acts 22 to 28. This week's uh, teaching tip is looking far ahead and modeling what you want your children to remember. So um, any obstacles that we might experience when it comes to studying and teaching the gospel are most likely things our children are going to face and need to conquer when they are parents. I kind of like this looking ahead example. Um, For example, as parents, they may experience these thoughts. And these are comments from redheaded hostess users, adults, you know, it says, My family has too much going on. How can we fit in scripture study? I struggle to understand the scriptures. How can I teach them to my family? I am not a a teacher. I am too tired and overwhelmed. I will focus on teaching the gospel later when my kids are older. (laughs) That seems like all the standard excuses, you know, which are valid for sure. Um, If your children experience these thoughts as parents, what can we do to help strengthen them? And what can we do as we experience these same thoughts, right? Um, We can breathe. We can be a breathing, living example of them to them of how to take on all of the doubts and distractions that will creep in. It can be our superpower because we can say, I know, I have been there. Let me show you the way. Um, She says, I was looking at crocheting books for my daughter and I saw the back of one of the books and this is what it said. Even if you think that that you are a complete layman, that you are a complete layman and don't know anything about crocheting, don't worry because crocheting is an art. That is learned. No one knows everything from the start. The concise lessons in this book will help you get a grip on how things work and you will become an expert crocheter soon. So this principle is true in every skill we want to develop. It is true with playing a sport, an instrument, and countless other things. I would add entrepreneurship, Um, And it is true in scripture study and teaching in the home. So as you can teach, as you are teaching your children, consider being open with them about the obstacles you are facing head on. Model what it looks like so they can remember your example later. You could say things like, I know we have a lot going on, but building our spiritual foundations are are too important. What should we drop? off, rearrange, or make sure this is our priority. Another one, I know the Lord will bless me with the skills I need to teach you the gospel. I will do my best, and I believe he will increase my capacity. We are living in the last days, and I want to make sure you have the spiritual strength you need. You must not get distracted. How can you help so that everyone is involved in strengthening our family? Okay. This is great. So that's our teaching tip. 
And then we're gonna start in Acts 22 to 28. Also, just FYI, I currently have it at incline number 10 because I realized when we hiked the Y the other day, which was so cool, by the way, we hiked it on Sunday night, around midnight, we got to the top. Um, but, and we did it before Finn went to FSY. He's at FSY this week. So it was like this big thing where I had no idea that he could even go. And then I heard some kids went and I was so sad. And then I made a vow that if I ever got the opportunity to have him go or have any of our children go, that I would do everything I could to make sure he could go. And then the opportunity came. I was explaining to the bishop how sad I was. And he said, let me just open it up for you so that he can do it. And I was like, what? And so he opened it up. I saw all the spots and we tried to get a cousin to go, but he was too busy. And so we enrolled him on Saturday morning to go to FSY on Monday. <laughs> it was pretty wild, pretty crazy. So much stuff going on at one time. So, but we figured he needed to do that because those are character building and testimony building experiences that we want you to take advantage of, especially when they're so close to home. So, so yeah, and we will do the same every year because one of my friends told me that she sends her kids every year. So I was like, what? That's magic. I want to do that. So anyways, that's what we went. That's what we did. Okay. So that's where he, he is today. Miracles happen even when you don't think so, you know, but I definitely had to take on, take on that blame. I had to realize that it was my fault and not anybody else's that he hadn't gone and that I didn't know because as soon as I took that ownership, I was able to see my error in my ways and I can make a change. So, okay. So here's a little, little summary. It says, sorry, it's hard to read this. <laughs> the text is so small on my phone. Paul was an effective missionary and the Jewish leaders sought to do to him what they had done to Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Paul fearlessly stood and defended himself against the false charges before Roman officers. And he took every opportunity to teach about Jesus Christ and his conversion. Since Paul was a Roman citizen from birth, he was sent to Rome, but was shipwrecked on an island. There he was bitten by a snake, but was unharmed. Paul arrived in Rome and was then on house arrest for two years. That's sad. Okay, and then we have someone named Festus. Who was Festus? Uh, Portius Festus succeeded Ant Antonius Felix in the governor of Judea from around 59 to 62 AD. During this time as governor, the hostility between Rome and the Jews grew to a boiling point. Just four years after was the beginning of Jewish-Roman war that lasted from AD 66 to AD 73. This was when Jerusalem was destroyed, including the temple. And then who was Felix? Felix was the Roman governor of Judea and Samaria, just as Pilate was governor in Jesus's day. 
Oh. Antonius Felix was of royal Greek blood, but became a slave. He was released from slavery and eventually assigned to be the Roman governor of Judea. He is described as being cruel, immoral, and easy bribed, easily bribed, which led to an increase in crime during his time as governor. His wife, Drusilla, was Jewish royalty. She had been previously married, but chose to divorce her husband to marry Felix. She was a daughter of Herod Agrippa the first, the Herod who had Apostle James killed, and therefore the sister of Herod Agrippa II. If you know the story of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in Pompeii in 79 AD, it is interesting to know that Drusilla and her son Marcus Antonia Agrippa were believed to have died in that eruption. Oh, interesting. Okay. Ooh, this, is, this incline is really something. So I'm going to lower that speed a little bit. Okay. So here we go. Acts 22. So hold on. Let me get some summaries here. Acts 22 recounts his convert. Paul recounts his conversion. Then the Oh, sorry, page 1405. Paul recounts his conversion. Page 1406, the high priest Ananias orders Paul to be smitten. The Lord appears to Paul. Page 1407, Jews plot Paul's death. Paul taken before Felix. Page 1408, Paul accused before Felix. 1409, Paul appeals to Caesar. 1410, Paul testifies before King Agrippa. 1411, Paul testifies before King Agrippa. 1412, Paul sent to Rome. 1413, an angel comforts Paul. Paul's ship is shipwrecked. 1414, Paul, unharmed by the viper's bite, he heals sick. And 1415, Paul preaches in Rome. So, that's pretty crazy, that journey. Okay. So, it says, you can put a P next to each verse, which stands for Paul indicating that Paul is speaking in these verses. That's just like a little scripture reading tip that you can use. Okay. Okay, some important things to know before we read this chapter about Paul. It says, Paul had said farewell to the elders from Ephesus, and he did not think he would see those beloved brethren again. And that was found in Acts 20, Verse 25, and then Paul was warned by, a diff- by different prophets and disciples not to go to Jerusalem because it was too dangerous. And then Paul expressed that he was willing to die in the name of Jesus. That's in Acts 21, 13. So I tried to look up the quote, but I can't find it. But it is along the lines of others may have been required or destined or um, however you want to say it, to die for Jesus Christ. But in these latter days, we are asked to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that is harder because, yeah, you could say, I would die for Jesus Christ. But then would you live for him, right? Would you be brave enough to stand up for what you believe, Sometimes that's harder than just laying down your life. And 
so that's what can't remember where I found it. If you remember, please let me know because I feel like it would make a good quote on a wall or something for a good reminder. Okay. And then despite all of the warnings of danger, Paul went to Jerusalem anyways. This is Acts 21, 14 to 15. And while in the temple, some Jews took Paul and beat him. A chief captain, a leader of Roman soldiers came and and oh, sorry. Okay, and beat him, period. A chief captain, a leader of the Roman soldiers, came and protected Paul as he was talking, or as he was taking Paul away. Paul asked if he could speak to the people. The verses on this page, 1 to 21, are Paul's words to the Jews. He was standing on the stairs speaking to the people with fresh injuries from being beaten. So he was standing on the steps of the temple. That's amazing. I kind of love that I just read that part. Okay, so here we go. One, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they had heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and he saith, I am verily a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the... And I persecuted this way unto death, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them, which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished." And it came to pass that as I made journey and was come unto, come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men 
for what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Ooh, that's so powerful. Have you been, what have you seen and heard that you cannot deny, right? That you can be a witness of to all men and women. Okay, there's a quote by Elder Bruce Armour Conkey says, How many times had Paul borne this testimony? There is no debate whether, there is no debate where testimony is concerned. A testimony is either true or false. There is no other issue to decide. Jesus said, I am the son of God. John 10, 36. Joseph Smith said, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. Joseph Smith history, 1, 17. And Paul said, I saw a light and heard a voice. Those who hear or to whom a acknowledge of testimony comes, accept it or reject it at the peril of their own salvation. End quote. I love that because it's kind of like what Joseph Smith said. He can't, he knows it. He can't deny it. And he knows that God knows that he knows it. So he can't deny it. What is it that you know, that God knows that you know, that you can't deny? Have you had that experience yet? And if so, what is this that he's saying? For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Right? What have we seen and heard? What have we felt? What have we experienced? Okay, verse 17. And it came to pass that when I came, when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on these. On thee. Verse 20. And when the blood of thy martyr... Stephen was shed. I also was standing by and consented unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Okay, so that was the whole thing that he said. So, twice in this discourse, Paul mentions how he persecuted the Christians. Right, Paul was making it clear that he too sinned in ignorance. And this is the perfect message for these Jews. Okay. Okay, verse 22. And they gave him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they, care, as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging and he might know, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with throngs or straps, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed 
what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. So that just means that Paul was a born born a citizen. So he was a natural 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 like natural citizen. Like he didn't have to apply for anything. He was just born a citizen of Rome. Whereas for me, I am not a natural born citizen of the United States of America. I had to apply and to go through the process to become a citizen. And I guess they maybe looked at people different if you had to do that, which is pretty normal because people do that here. Now, okay, so 29. Then straight away they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty, the certainty Wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all, other, all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So he set them before the, San, the Sanhedrin. So Paul before the Sanhedrin. Okay, now this is, where, this is chapter 22, or I should say that was chapter 22. Okay, and... Acts 23 is now Paul standing before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin would have known the former Paul, smart, brave, bold, and educated by Gamaliel. Paul would have been seen as a promising prospect. But notice how terribly they treat Paul now and how boldly he testified to them. Paul simply did not bend. He was a force. Force for good. Okay, so... But these men uh, see Paul as the ultimate betrayer somehow because he became an actual Christian <laughs> and then top, topped it off by going un, like among the Gentiles and preaching. So here's Acts 23, 1 to 6. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded them that stood by him to smite him in the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. That a whited wall means a clean wall that is really hiding filth behind it. Behind it. Oh, that kind of reminds me of like when you have dirty walls and you just think like, oh, I'm just going to paint it, paint right over it so I don't have to worry about cleaning it well paint doesn't adhere that good to a dirty wall anyway so you still have to clean it and but like you can tell when a wall has been painted over and it's it was a dirty wall it just is more bumpy more gross anyways um so so yeah he says for sittest thou to judge me after the law and com- commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived, or became aware, 
that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. Okay, really quick, I just wanted to read this. As a characteristic of this group, they were enraged and asked Paul if he was reviling God's high priest. Once Paul realized that Ananias was the high priest, he apologized. Elder Elder Talmadge explained, Talmadge, no, Talmadge, throughout a quote, throughout the tragic circumstances of his trial and condemnation, Christ maintained a submissive demeanor even toward the chief priests and council who were plotting his death. These officers, however, unworthy of their priestly power, were nevertheless in authority and had a certain measure of jurisdiction in secular as in ecclesiastical affairs. When he stood before Caiaphas, laden with insult and accused by false witnesses, he maintained a dignified silence. To the high priest's question, answereth thou nothing, what is it which these witnesses against thee? He he deemed, deemed, I don't know that word, uh, deemed, no reply, deigned, no reply. Um, then the high priest added, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the son of man. And this is in Matthew twenty six sixty three. To this con- to this solemn uh, adjuration spoken with official authority, the Savior gave an immediate answer, thus acknowledging the office of the high priest, however unworthy the man. A somewhat analogous mark of respect for the high priest's office was shown by Paul while a prisoner before the ecclesiastical ecclesiastical tribunal. His remarks displeased the high priest who gave immediate command to those who stood near Paul to smite him on the mouth. This angered the apostle and he cried out, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and condemnest commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. End quote. So that was an Elder James E. Talmadge, Articles of Faith, 378. Okay, we're going to pause there. We're on page three. And we're in Acts 23.7. Okay, we are actually on the treadmill today now. Can you tell? Of course you can. All right. And when he had said... Or, sorry, let's do that again. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees... Confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So this was like some division on the council. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force among them and to bring him into the castle. 
Okay, so I just have to say that Paul is just so wise and resourceful because he knew exactly who his audience was and who he was talking to, right? Because he would have personally known many of the men on this council and he realized that there were both Pharisees and Sadducees among them. And one of the great disagreements between the two groups was the matter of resurrection and the afterlife. And the Pharisees believed in these things and the Sadducees denied them. So Paul took advantage of this difference and this controversial matter, right? Because he identified with the Pharisees by saying that he's a Pharisee and that his father was also a Pharisee. Although Paul was now a Christian, he still agreed with the Pharisees concerning the matter of the, the resurrection of the dead which he actually did frequently preach, right? And like, he was trying to turn the attention from, from Paul. So he was trying to turn his attention away from himself to the division between the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then suddenly like the Pharisees were like trying to stand up for Paul, which is amazing how he was able to do that. But the chief captain, feeling a little responsible for the life of a Roman citizen, of course, removed Paul from the situation and took him to the castle, or um, what was called the castle of Antonia. Okay, so now we're on verse 11. And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. And when it was day, certain of the Jews band together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Wow, that's dramatic. Pretty sure I wouldn't do that for anything except a fasting, for healing of children, you know, uh, or friends. Um... But these people were super dramatic. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. Wow. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Ugh, these peeps. So now... Okay, hold on. Some commentary here from Redheaded Hostess. Paul's future was uncertain... And how he would get out of this situation. They didn't know. He didn't know. Um, what was the end? Were his days of preaching the gospel over? Notice how the Lord personally ministered to and cared for Paul during such a time of extreme persecution. While in this state, the Lord appeared to Paul with the message, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. So imagine the hope and joy that Paul felt after this division. Not only did he learn that he would be able to preach in Rome, but the Lord personally de delivered this message to him. And that experience alone would bring measureless, measureless joy and be a highlight of Paul's entire life. Elder Neil A. Maxwell used this story to show how the Lord is very personal and specific to our circumstances and how we should be the same as we minister to one another. Okay, quote. Jesus individualized during 
what could have seemed to others to be repeated experiences. Even in the midst of his universalness, Jesus and our great and true shepherd cares for each one of us. Or, sorry, cares for each one. And the night following the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also in Rome. Will we individualize since we are all poised at the edge of another academic year? It would be quite human for us to say, resign, resign, resignedly, here we go again. I'm so glad Heavenly Father doesn't have such feelings, even though his course is one eternal round, as the plan of salvation is executed and re-executed again and again in realms beyond our purview. His love is constant and personal. I'm so glad that Jesus did not view each healing as merely one more duty for him. Such a duty was delight. G.K. Chesterton concluded, God has never grown tired of making all daisies alike because God has never grown tired of daisies, nor must we grow tired of students or of each other, end quote. And that's Elder Neil A. Maxwell, BYU Speeches, August 25th, 1993. Oh, wow, that's like a perfect uh, back-to-school kind of quote. Um, So that's cute. Okay. So now we're in verse 15. Now, therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto the morrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him before he comes. Okay, so this is like before he was coming near the Sanhedrin. And when Paul's sister, son, heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. So this is Paul's nephew warning Paul, okay? See, family's the best, right? Except some family in the scriptures are not the best. So <laughs> I guess make sure you raise your family right. Okay, uh, 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is it that thou hast to tell me? So this is Paul's nephew speaking. He said, and he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things to me. Okay, so... Paul had just stood before the Jews and the Sanhedrin, and both groups wanted to kill him. So he will now stand before the most powerful men in Judea, which is Felix, then Festus, and then King Agrippa, and Paul did not waver. So, um, 
we're going to read Acts 23, verse 23. Here we go. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night. So 70 horsemen, um, all this math equals two, 470 men. And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner. So this is letter from captain to Felix. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army, and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge, worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straight away to thee and gave commandment to this accuser, also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipartus. Pat, wait. Ant, Antip, Antipatris. Antipatris. Anyways, I'm going to have to learn how to say all these words because they're Greek and I want to go there. <laughs> On the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with them and returned to the castle. Who, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of... Hey, miss. Okay, we had to take a little break to give some food to Flora Myth. Okay. The suspense is killing you of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Okay, so... Um, let's see. The chief captain stayed at his post in Jerusalem, but sent a letter to Felix explaining the situation in it. He explained that Paul was a Roman and also confessed that he had not discovered any crime that Paul was worthy of death or bonds. So Paul was taken to a town called Antipart Antipatris, which is just under 40 miles from Jerusalem. From there, a smaller section of the army accompanied him the last 30 miles to Caesarea. Upon arrival, Felix read the letter and Paul was presented to Felix. What province are you from? Should let Felix know if he had the responsibility to hear his case. Paul stated that he was from the province of Cilicia. And upon hearing this, Felix knew he had the duty to hear Paul. So Paul had been persecuted in all types of different scenarios, but this was the most threatening. <laughs> Paul will be standing before men who have armies at their command. The stakes were at their highest. And yet, again, Paul will not waver. And remember that Paul had the assurance from the Lord himself that Paul still had days ahead of him. Right? 
So that's kind of cool. Okay, so we have Acts chapter 24, 1 to 6 here. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, ascended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus. 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 Anyway. Who informed the governor against, uh, against Paul. So a Roman lawyer. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by the, thy province. So some flattery words, or some flattery towards Felix. Okay, this is good. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent or destructive slash deadly fellow and a mover of sedition. So this is his first charge. Among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene, Nazarenes. So, charge two was the ringleader of the sect, and then who? Number six, who also hath gone about to profane the temple? Charge three, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain. Lysias Lysias came unto us and with great violence took him away out of our hands so they were wronged commanding this accusers commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of these of all these things whereof we accuse him and the Jews also ascended assented saying that these things were so okay so Felix sent for the Jews to come, and the Jewish leaders brought them, brought with them an orator named Tertullus. And an orator was like a lawyer, and he would have been careful to select uh, who they selected for this task because Tertullus was a Roman name, so that so this man was likely a Roman and chosen because of his knowledge of Roman law and ability to expertly lay the case before Felix so that Paul would be seen as a danger to both the Jews and the Romans. So Tertullus opens... Oh, man. I better go to zero now. We had a five incline. Whew. After the Y, it felt like that was too hard. So I'm like, let's make sure we're doing an incline. <sighs> okay, Tertullus then laid out three charges against Paul who was being destructive to the Jews. He was a nuisance, stirred up dissension among the Jews all over the world, and he was a ringleader of a party from Nazareth, and he tried to desecrate the temple. So those were like what they were trying to do. Okay, so then Paul, number 10, uh, verse 10, then Paul, after that, the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, for as much as I know, that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because 
So he has only been in Jerusalem for 12 days. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, because he wasn't stirring up the people. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy or hearsay, I don't know, that also looks the same. Um, So worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein I do exercise myself to have always a conscious void, conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. So he wasn't causing a stir. Who ought to have been here before before thee and and object if they had aught against me or else these things or sorry or else let these same hearsay if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council except it be for the this one voice that I cried standing among them touching the resurrection of the dead I am called in question by you this day and when Felix heard these things having more perfect knowledge of that way he deferred them and said when Lysias the chief captain shall come down I will know the uttermost of your matter and he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he for, should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come unto him and after certain days when Felix come with his wife Drusilla which was a Jewess he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of faith in Christ so Paul had some freedom and his friends could minister to him. Verse 24. And after certain days when Felix came. Oh wait, I already said that. 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have, coven- when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So he used logic and good sense and self-control and judgment was coming, the coming judgment, but it wasn't like right then, like he didn't judge him right then. So, anyway, what's really crazy, I think, is so much of the back and forth, like all the details. I'm not a lawyer, okay, and I don't follow cases. Um, I also don't necessarily love the wording because I don't understand it (laughs) you know so it's a lot of like well he said this and they said this and this is part of what he wasn't supposed to say and this is so it's for me this part of the scriptures is so hard for me to follow um that being said what's hilarious is that I was listening to a Pat Flynn um podcast on our road trip to Idaho and (laughs) for our family reunion 
And he was talking to this gal who's a lawyer and who um, has a super successful, like, YouTube channel and all these things. Um, because what she does is, because she's a lawyer, she understands all these things. And she does commentary on a bunch of trials. Now, I wish I... I'm only bringing that up because I, I seriously still know nothing about being a lawyer with all the words and things. Um, but I think what her gift is that she takes all the stuff that she's learning or that she is seeing from the trials and then she kind of puts it in English, you know, so that you can understand. So I almost wish she would kind of break this down for me in English because I can't, I don't even, like, I can't break it down. But I do have some commentary from Reddit Hostess, which I will continue to read. So, um, James E. Faust, President James E. Faust in 1988 General Conference said, through the atonement and those singular events surrounding it, all of the terrible individual and collective sins of all mankind were taken upon the Lord's shoulders. The marvelous, marvelous result of this great suffering was that he was able to redeem from physical death the believers and the obedient as well as the unbelieving and disobedient. Every person ever born or yet to be born is the beneficiary of both the mediation and the atonement of the Savior, end quote. So isn't that amazing? Like regardless of who you are on this planet Earth, you are a beneficiary of both the mediation and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Like, that is just amazing. How the atonement of Jesus Christ is so all-encompassing like that is just, it's like something I'll never be able to understand. But maybe I can continue to glimpse it because we know so many people, right? And to think that the Lord loves each one of us is just so mind-blowing. Like, I can't even grasp what that means, you know? Get the person that has the most followers on Instagram, okay? And even there's more than that that the Lord loves, right? And that he sacrificed himself for. So every single one of those followers is the beneficiary of both the mediation and atonement of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that, that's just like, what's awesome. Okay, I'm going to read verse 26 and 27. He hoped also that money, or like a bribe, should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and commune with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So two years he was bound like, or he was, he was like a prisoner, you know? That's the worst. So Festus left Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. Which is kind of sad. Like, they just imprisoned him for no reason. Okay, so after Paul had been kept in the prison some days, Felix, who had been gone returned with his wife and desired to hear from Paul concerning faith in Christ. This was Paul's great gift. And he taught of Christ and his teachings with so much power and clarity that it left Felix trembling. If Felix had to stand before the Lord in a coming judgment, he would have a lot to account for. 
It was also revealed that Felix could be bribed to release Paul, and indeed Felix was hoping for this. So he sent for him often, hoping to come to an agreement. However, Felix's hopes were in vain. Paul did not bribe him. For two years, Paul remained in prison. That's quite the prison sentence for one who was unaccused. And now it was time for Felix to be replaced by a new governor named Festus. Wow. So, at least he was able to preach, right? Man, it's so sad. Okay, but I feel like poor Paul's been been imprisoned. Some uh, Sister Wilson the other day came over and we were talking briefly, but she said that um, the prophet Joseph Smith found great comfort in the experiences of Paul. And now I can kind of see a little bit, you know, how with Joseph Smith having to go through so much persecution and still remaining faithful, how he would find comfort in Paul's experiences to kind of help him along that path. And I think, I think this would help any missionary who's struggling to, to know if what he's doing is worth it, you know? Because, like, he was in prison for two years. How much good could he have done if he was not in prison for two years, you know? Sometimes you'd think, like, they talk about missionaries who don't baptize anybody in the whole time that they, uh, that they serve. And look at, look at Paul. Like, he was definitely uh, the Lord's servant. And for two years, he literally was imprisoned. And couldn't do anything except preach to Felix, right? And he didn't get baptized. And so there you go. And he, I mean, you would hope that he was able to have some interaction because it does say he was able to still talk to friends and stuff. But he couldn't baptize anybody, you know? I mean, I can't imagine that that's what they did. So in jail or in prison, the way that they left him. So... So yeah, this can kind of give hope to those missionaries who feel like they haven't done anything in their mission. Now, I guarantee that that Paul took advantage of this opportunity to come closer to Christ even more, right? Because what's he going to do when, when, when you're all alone and when you're struggling when, in a trial? What do you do? You seek for the only person who's promised that he'd always be there and it's Jesus Christ and so the strength that he must have received during that time must have been so amazing but you know it doesn't go into detail here but anyways I just think it's crazy that also the leader was just hoping that he would get bribed so he could take him out. Like, what kind of leader is that, right? Like, you just hope that he'll be bribed, that he'll bribe you? Like, anyways. Crazy. Okay. Um, here we go. And Acts 25, verse 1. 
Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him. So the Jews urged Festus and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. So they were planning an ambush. Again, these people. Also, because Paul didn't die, did those guys die? Because they said that they were not going to eat until he was dead. (laughs) So, two years later, they did not keep their promise to themselves, right? Don't make dumb promises. That's like another lesson right there. Like, don't be ridiculous. If you don't like somebody, don't, don't be a hater, you know? Just live your life. Care about your own goals and your own things where your life is going. Don't worry about somebody else's life and don't focus your whole, should I say, don't focus your whole being, your whole life just to ruin somebody else's life. That makes no sense. Like live for yourself, live for your own life, live for you to progress in life. Even if somebody's preaching something that you don't believe, whatever, you know, live your own life. Like you don't, you don't need to concern yourself with somebody else's life like that. And be such a hater. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, that was just that just came to mind when, when I'm like, oh yeah, they said they wouldn't eat till he was dead and he's still alive. Okay. So, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore said, said he, which among you are able to go down with me and accuse this man if they there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them the more them more than 10 days he went down to Caesarea and the next day sitting on the judgment seat commanded Paul to be brought and when he was come the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul which they could not prove while he answered for himself neither against the law of the Jews neither against the temple nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all but festus willing to do the jews of pleasure answered paul and said wilt thou go up to jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me then paul said i stand at caesar's judgment seat where i ought to be judged to the jews have i done no wrong as though very as thou very well knowest so good good job paul stand up for yourself for i be for if i be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. And after certain days, King Agrippa and Bernice came unto Caesarea to salute Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus declared Paul's cause unto the king, saying, There is a certain man left in bonds by Felix, about whom when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. So Festus explained to King Agrippa the situation. Okay. Now, these are just like people who have higher ranks than other people, and they're trying to take him to looks like Caesar because he was saying that he didn't want to be judged by people who were falsely accusing him so of course he doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem that makes no sense yeah let me go back to where the haters hate me nobody's gonna say that (laughs) 
that the haters hate me for no reason. Nobody's going to want to do that. Plus, didn't the Lord say he was going to get to preach to Caesar? So maybe that is what he was trying to do. Like that was the clue from the Lord where he was supposed to be going. And I love that because sometimes we need those kinds of clues from the Lord to tell us which direction to go in. And I feel like that was kind of like a subtle clue in there. Okay, uh, Elder Bruce R. McConkey from Doctrinal New, Te- New Testament Commentary says, Falsely imprisoned with no specific or substantial charge against him, Paul declines to go willingly back to Jerusalem, back to stand in jeopardy before the f- fanatical mob which had caused the crucifixion of his Lord. Instead, Roman citizen he was, he appeals unto Caesar. And Caesar's procurator decrees that unto Caesar shall Christ's apostle bow. But why? Why all this imprisonment? Why these repeated mock-like trials before one ruler after another? All to no avail as far as freeing the innocent Paul is concerned. Why does not the Lord send an angel to deliver his apostle as he did when Peter was imprisoned by Herod? Clearly, it is the design of deity to use Paul's imprisonment as the means of taking the testimony of Jesus to the great and the mighty of the world. The gospel is for the poor and for the privileged. It is to be proclaimed by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world and before kings and rulers, end quote. Mm. There you go. I love that. And... Let's see, before Paul was sent away to King Agrippa, or before Paul was sent away, King Agrippa came to Caesarea to greet Festus. King Agrippa was Herod Agrippa, or the Jewish king at this time. And then after many days, Festus told Agrippa about Paul. He gave him the details of the case and told him that he only sees that the disagreement between the Jews and Paul was regarding their religion. Agrippa was then curious and desired to hear Paul himself. Nice. Okay, so we're now at Acts 25, 16 to 27. So to whom I answered, it is not the manner of the Romans to deliver any man to die. Before that, he which is accused have the accusers face to face and have license to answer for himself concerning the crime laid against him. Therefore, when they were come hither without any delay on the morrow, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought forth against whom when, against whom, when the accusers stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. So they use the word superstition as religion, I guess. Um, and because I doubted of such manner of questions, I asked him whether he would go to Jerusalem and there be judged of these matters. But then, but when Paul had appealed to the, to be reserved unto the hearing of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until, till I might send him to Caesar. So this was Festus explaining to King Agrippa what was happening. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come and Bernice with great pomp and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city of Ephesus, commanded commandment, Paul was brought, at Festus's commandment, Paul was brought forth. 
So this was a big showy event, I guess. It's good. He was able to preach to people. It's better than being in prison, right? And Festus said, King Agrippa and all men which are here present with us, ye see this man about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. So that's what the Jews were wanting. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I have determined to send him of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore, I have brought him forth before you, and especially before thee, O King Agrippa, that after examination had I might have somewhat to write. For it seemeth to me unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. So there's a lot of paintings of... Paul being on trial. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Okay, so this... So, my knee is starting to hurt. And I don't want to keep walking. But maybe I'll just walk really slow. That's what I'll do. Okay. So then Agrippa said unto Paul, so this is Acts 26. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I'm accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. So he's urgently you know, asking him to hear him patiently. Okay. Now this is awesome because he's able to answer for himself because a lot of everything that people were saying about him was all hearsay. He said this, he said this, and they were accusing him of the wrong stuff. Right. And so now Paul gets to speak for himself and this is where it's awesome because this is where he gets to preach. Right. So says my manner of so this is acts 26 verse 4 my manner of life from my youth which was at the first among mine own nation at jerusalem know all the jews which knew me from the beginning if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion i lived a pharisee and now i stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of god unto our fathers unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serve serving god day and night hope to come for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should I? Why should it be taught a thing incredible wilt, with thou that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he thought he should oppose Jesus at the beginning, right? Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme or by denying Jesus Christ. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto the strangest, strange cities. So cities outside Judea, whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from chief priests to continue to persecute the Jews. Right. So now he's going to recount his vision. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining around, shining round about me, 
and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying, In the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand up thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their ears and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. So this was why the Jews wanted to kill Paul, right? This is what this was the real reason. Okay, so um, how could Paul be disobedient to the vision that he had received, right? So Paul's message of conversion was hard to refute. Jesus himself came to him and corrected his course. Those listening either have to hear it with an open heart or think Paul was a madman. So there was no other, re- there was no other option. Jesus said to Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. A prick is a sharp stick used to poke herd animals to get them to move in a desired direction. An animal animal that kicks back at the sharp-pointed prod will only increase his own pain and discomfort. Jesus was telling Saul that his determination to persecute Christians would ultimately be profitless. He was pushing back on God himself and 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 the course God was bringing to pass. So if Paul was disobedient to the vision that he received, then... It would go against what Paul now believed, right? And so the Jews arrested him because of his obedience to this vision. And God has preserved his life and continues to preserve his life because Paul continues to witness of the things that he saw and heard, right? That Jesus Christ would come, fulfill the atonement, rise from the dead, and then take the gospel to the Gentiles. King Agrippa should recognize these very prophecies. So... Here's a quote by Elder Neely Maxwell. He says, quote, Once Paul understood about Jesus' being the Messiah and overcame his narrow and pharisaical view of things, he became an earnest and most effective witness for the Savior. Then he had to contend with the same narrowness in his audiences. No wonder Paul preached with such great vigor about how Moses had spoken of the coming of the Messiah and the Christ, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Paul saw again and again how the most Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, Paul saw again and again how the most Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, was a stumbling block. Two most, how two most Jews... I was like, why? Why am I reading this wrong? Okay, so later in his ministry, he saw a duel from form of rejection. To most Greeks, Jew- Jesus was foolishness. 
only the meek then and now have ears to hear and eyes to see and the courage to receive repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. End quote. Now, I butchered that quote so hard. Um, sorry. <laughs> and then President Dallin H. Oaks, he says this. The prophet Joseph Smith provided a wonderful example of this when he was persecuted for telling people about his vision. He likened his circumstance to the P- Apostle Paul, who was ridiculed and reviled as he made his defense before King Agrippa. Um, and it says, see Acts 26, but all this did not destroy the reality of his vision. Joseph said he had seen a vision. He knew he had, he knew he had, and all the persecution under heaven could not make it otherwise. So it was with me. Joseph continued. I had actually seen a light and in the midst of that light, I saw two personages and they did in reality speak to me. I had seen a vision. I knew it and I knew that God knew it and I couldn't deny it. Neither declared I or neither dared I, end quote. President Dallin H. Oaks, April 2008, General Conference. Isn't that so true? Sometimes there's those things that we just cannot deny. Um, Okay. So then we still have Acts 26. And here's he, and Paul's continuing. He says, having therefore obtained help of God, I continued unto, unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. Also, do you see how long Paul's able to speak? I love this because, you know, I feel like sometimes we cut like the the apostles and prophets who are have been on trial get cut off so and then uh so that was 23 24 and as thus they and as he thus spake for himself festus said with a loud voice paul thou art beside thyself much learning doth make thee mad (laughs) so at least well i guess he said something right then huh okay um 25 but he said i am not mad most noble festus but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. And this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether, such as I am, except these bonds. And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man doth nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Oh, so, it says, Paul then turned his attention to King Agrippa, since he should know of these prophecies, and he should know of Jesus Christ. Festus, living in Rome or some other foreign nation, would, not, would have not heard of Jesus Christ. But King Agrippa should know of these things, for all of Judea knew. The same Agrippa that came to pomp and sl- splendor to the court 
showed his nature in verse 28. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Agrippa listened to Paul's account until Paul made him answer for what every Jew should know. And certain, certainly the king of the Jews should understand. Paul's courage is shown for he calls Agrippa out and makes him answer. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Paul's response to Agrippa, Agrippa's remark was full of charity. He wished that all men would have what he has, the gospel of Jesus Christ, except for the chains in which he was bound, of course, those he does not wish on them. And Elder Neil R. Maxwell says, some do not own up even to the small spiritual stirrings within them. When in the later judgment, there is access to the seismographs of the soul, I predict there will be some very interesting recordings that can be introduced as evidence. Agrippa had such a moment, probably Pilate also. We are often in the presence of a good and powerful person or truth. Sometimes it is not until later that we remember our hearts burned within us, but the record will show, end quote. Ooh, I love that. That's a maybe book called Deposition, page 18 from Elder Neil A. Maxwell. Oh, I might need to learn a little bit more of that, huh? So, so they just had the Apostle Paul testify before them, and these leaders were not moved. As they gather, their conversation is about whether or not the Jews had a case rather than about the message he just delivered to them. So some questions is like, why is it important to remember that even the great Apostle Paul had this reaction to his testimony? What do you think may have been keeping these leaders from accepting Paul's testimony? I think it's crazy that he said that almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, huh? Like what what was keeping you from making that choice, right? That was his choice. So what was that thing keeping him from making that choice? Okay, we are now on Acts 27. And this is now a super long, um, super long podcast. Okay, so we're going to get into Acts 27. And Acts 27 and 28 all have Paul traveling and being shipwrecked and being in storm and just all kinds of um, different kind of persecution because now they were sending him to appeal to Caesar, right? So um, now they're sending Paul to on a ship to Italy um, so that they can do all, so that he can continue to appeal to Caesar. Um, <laughs> but it's crazy. So yesterday I asked Faust what they talked about in their class and he says guess how many times um paul was shipwrecked i'm like oh i don't know i guess two finn guessed two and apparently he is three times <laughs> like on a ship that is kind of destroyed 
during those three times. And I was like, no way. That's so crazy. So yeah, Paul goes through that three times. And I'm going to let you guys read Acts 27 and 28. Um, But there's a quote by President Thomas S. Munson. He says, the Apostle Paul declared, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. None of us makes it through this life without problems and challenges and sometimes tragedies and misfortunes. After all, in large part, we are here to learn and grow from such events in our lives. We know that there are times when we will suffer, when we will grieve, and when we will be saddened. However, we are told Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. How might we have joy in our lives despite all that we may face? Again from the scriptures, wherefore be of good cheer and do not fear. For I, the Lord, am with you and will stand by you. Now, when, uh, end quote, from President Thomas S. Monson, April 2009 General Conference. I love that. Um, When Paul is shipwrecked, an angel comes to him and says, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, go, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. And so he was given that extra hope, right? And then Paul was telling the people on the ship to be of good cheer for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but just of the ship and so they all get to survive you know and he i love that his testimony just kind of shows like i believe god i believe what he says right and that's what he says in verse uh, in chapter 27 verse 25 he says wherefore sirs be of good cheer for i believe god that it shall be even as it was told me. Now, sometimes there's like those things where it's like, do you believe in God? But then like, and it's easy to say, yeah, I believe in God. Right. But then do you take it one step further and believe his words? Do you believe God and what he has said and what he has promised? Do we believe that? And I think that is where the struggle comes because it's hard to believe those things because we want those things immediately. You want everything on demand. I demand it. I get it. If you promised it, that means I'm going to get it today, right now. But that's not how the Lord works, right? It's the Lord's timing. And then there's another talk that talks about how uh, waiting on the Lord is a sacred space. Like that time when you wait on the Lord is sacred. And it's true because during that time is when you come closer to him. And that's what stretches you during that. The waiting on the Lord is the stretching part. Um, Okay, so um, those were those are the things that I wanted to make sure that we shared. Um, But remember, Paul eventually does get to Rome. And uh, remember, that was what the angel said. The first angel that we read about just now, he said he was going to be going to Rome. And so now he's actually in Rome. And he was going, he had gone through so much, um, and he had even healed a person. He got bit by a viper, uh, shipwrecked. Okay. And he is now in Rome and he got to be in his own hired house. Um, so I guess maybe like house arrest, um, for two years. So this is where he was able to stay. Um, and it says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern 
the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And so Paul was imprisoned, but again, that hired house was like lodging that was paid for, (laughs) which is so crazy, but it's awesome for him, right? So he didn't even have to find a place to live because they gave it to him. And so this is where he taught the gospel from, and Rome allowed him to preach with no fear of persecution. This was also a time when he wrote many epistles, and it's believed that Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Hebrews were written during this time. Isn't that wild? That's pretty awesome. Okay, um, so what happened to Paul after Acts? So sometime during his arrest, Paul appeared before the Roman emperor Nero. Paul was then released by Nero. After Paul was released, he continued preaching and traveled to many places, including Spain. There is not a record that narrates this fourth missionary journey like in Acts, but we learn details of it in the Pauline epistles, the epistles written by Paul. At some point, Paul was arrested a second time and was again sent to prison in Rome. This time, it was not as com- not at a comfortable house arrest, but a cold and weary prison. The Roman Emperor Nero had begun to round up Christians and have them killed. Some were burned to death and others were killed by wild dogs. It is rumored that since Paul was a Roman, he was beheaded. Ugh. I guess that's because it's less painful and more immediate. I don't know. Okay. Um, and then after that and after Paul's sacrifice and other Christians sacrifice their lives and the things that they've endured in Rome, um, it is amazing that we have a a temple in Rome that was dedicated in March 2019. And Christianity was built on on the shoulders of these great and courageous saints. Like they had so much courage to do all these things and follow the Lord. And then 2,000 years later, a temple of God was built in the city of Rome. So much sacrifice, so many sacrificed to be able to have that. And they would be so excited, of course. Um, And I love, like, there's a couple videos out there you guys can find of the 12 apostles now going uh, to Rome and taking a picture with all of the other 12 original 12 apostles or somewhat original 12 apostles um, in, made out of stone. And it's just so cool, so neat. I am so excited to be able to go one day to visit Rome and see that temple and go in there and serve in there so anyway i i know i skipped a lot of stuff because i didn't want this to be so long um but go read acts 27 28 it's so good um and i am doing a bad job of recapping anything and like all of it but i love that the prophet joseph smith found so much comfort in these scriptures that Paul wrote and it can give us comfort too especially when it makes a little bit more sense you know you might have to read it a couple times <laughs> or maybe just some parts make sense and some parts don't um, thanks for being here thanks for showing up I love you and we will continue reading next week
いっぱい。